Hey, true sex and wild love listeners. I don't know about you, but I'm very, very fussy about what I put on my face, what I put on my vulva, and what I put in my vagina. And that is why I was so excited when I learned about a company called Living Libations. What is it? It's a luxurious Canadian line of pure source, raw, organic, and botanical beauty care, intimacy lubricants, raw chocolate, oh my God, so delicious, and holistic oral care products that you can use after you eat the chocolate. Oh my gosh, I love this stuff. First of all, it was created by Nadine Artemis, who calls herself a beauty philosopher, which I love. She's the author of Renegade Beauty and Holistic Dental Care. And she has an incredible philosophy. They use essential oils and their products are highly concentrated. They preserve purity, space, and resources by offering full potency products without any fillers, no diluters, no artificial colors, and no petrochemicals because ick. I don't want that stuff on my face or in my vajay for sure. I love so many of the products uh, that I'm using of theirs. My favorite might be this rose cream, which you can put on your lips. You can put on your cheeks. I kind of spread some on my arms sometimes if I want a little rosy glow. It smells delicious and it feels delicious on your skin, but I am obsessed completely obsessed with their product called Languid Love Butter. Only living libations could make this. This is a lube that smells and tastes so good and is made with ingredients, wait for it, that you can eat, okay? Because I'm not putting anything on my vulva or on my vagina that I wouldn't put in my mouth, okay? Just trust me, you're going to just love these products. Look, synthetic lubes are often just kind of momentary moisturizers or like petal plumpers. You know, they're only offering you a very temporary lubrication. And often uh, those ingredients of kind of drugstore lubes actually uh, dehydrate your vulva and your vagina. And we don't want that. On the other hand, Living Libations has this organic petal passion serum, they call it. And that sort of lubricates your spaces and soothes you using ingredients that you wouldn't be scared to put in your mouth. And they're ingredients that you can pronounce. There's something really great about that. I'm obsessed and I think you will be too. And here's some really great news about Living Libations and their incredible product line. Just go to livinglibations.com forward slash TSWL and use the code TSWL and you can get 20% off. Hey, that means that you can buy an extra pot of Languid Love Butter and you can send it to me. Whitney Miller. Wednesday Martin. What a ring. Mm. What a ring our names have to it. WM and WM. Okay. We have a great guest this week. His Instagram handle is at your diagnonsense. Tell people <laughs> about him with. Man, if you are not following him, you guys have to start following him. Your diagnonsense. He's a sex and relationship therapist and he is hilarious. 
Like, yeah, he's hilarious. And he just puts it all out there. He doesn't lie. And (laughs) he doesn't hold back. Not even close. Not even close from his stories to the things that we talked about on the podcast. And he's also just so knowledgeable, but he does it in a way that's like a love slap. Like he just, like we said, he does not hold anything back. You guys will love him. His name is Todd Barretts. All right, you guys, enjoy the listen. Hi, all of my favorite people. How's it going today? Hey, Whitney. Um, guess who we have on here today? Tell me everything. Oh, my God. Okay. His IG handle is your diagnosis, right? And yep. he has been my IG obsession for a long time. His name is Todd Baratz, and he is a sex and relationships therapist. And we're just going to have him speak for himself. Todd, welcome to True Sex and Wild Love. Thanks for being here. Hi, Whitney. Hi, Wednesday. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to both of you. So excited. I'm so excited to put a voice to the badass Instagram that I'm obsessed with. <laughs> it's just so... All this positive feedback. I'm going to practice just saying thank you. Just practice just saying thank you. Just <laughs> I'm so good at receiving it. You'll inspire so many people. Okay. Yes. It isn't really that typical for a lot of therapists still to be on Instagram. A lot of them are just very uptight about it. I want to, first of all, I want to talk about how you got into sex therapy, but I also then want to double back to your Instagram uh, bravery. Okay. So, so how did you get into sex therapy and why? Um. Well, so I've been in practice for almost 10 years, which is crazy. Um, I started practicing uh, right after I finished grad school, which, um, uh, yeah, so right after I finished grad school. um, But so I had my first therapist, or my first, my second therapist was when I was 12, um, who I actually still see, which is wild. Um, But he's a sex therapist. Um, And so I didn't go to him because I needed sex therapy, but because I was seeing a sex therapist, I was able to have, and really fortunate, able to have conversations about my sexuality and uh, my first experiences and um, all of them ever since um, with him. And so I was asked questions about arousal and pleasure and developed a language around that early on. Um, And that was like really, really helpful for me. Uh, But then it was really shocking to see how in school and in my training, nobody was talking about sex and social media wasn't as uh, central and sex positivity wasn't either. So I realized that it was like a hugely untapped resource and need that people really had. So um, that's really what brought me to it um, is, you know, my own experiences um, in sex therapy, um, having a lot of sexual challenges um, because yes, just because I'm a sex therapist doesn't mean I'm just like sexually free as a bird. I still have challenges. Um, (laughs) Right. Isn't that a big misconception? Yeah. And it's, especially now as I'm dating and having sex, people like, I think really objectify me and think I'm just like this, like super freak, um, who's just like down to fuck at any moment. And I'm like, no, Mm. I'm still a human being. (laughs) Like, like, yes, but no. Um, (laughs) so, you know, I, I bring a lot of my personal experience that brought me to sex therapy and then that turned into interest and stimulation, like literal and intellectual. Um, uh, and then bippity boppity boo, I, here I, here I am. Here you are. Okay, mm. wait, hold up. You were doing therapy at age 12. Is that what you said, Todd? Yeah. I mean, I started therapy much younger. Um, my family was and is nuts. And so luckily, 
Um, I come from an erotic Jewish family that puts you right into therapy right away. <laughs> right. You know, as soon as you begin to be able to say my name is, um, so as soon as you become a different person, um, they're like, you should go to therapy. So uh, yeah, I started therapy when I was probably like nine. Um, but this particular therapist I started seeing when I was 12 or 13. So since 12 or 13, you have like had a person in your life modeling being uh, normal and cool about topics like arousal and desire and sexuality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like really privileged, really fortunate. Like I, I, I mean, that stuff was really, I mean, then the other stuff and that I, I got from therapy as well. Um, I really don't know if I would even be alive if I didn't have that con- constant and consistent sense of support and uh, positive reinforcement about sex and other things. So, um, And you also, I would imagine, have to have a very deep and strong bond with the therapist that you've been seeing since you were 12. I mean, they've been with you through your entire life almost. Yeah. I mean, it's like the second longest relationship I've had other than my parents. <laughs> it's um, so deep. Yeah. So he's... He's been like a stand-in parent, a benevolent uncle, um, that kind of those kind of words. He's a mentor now for me. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I feel very connected. We're very close. I'm trying to think how different my world would be if, starting at age nine or twelve or whatever, I had had like an anchor like that, um, just saying all the things that a great therapist says from the age of nine or twelve. Um, when did you start going to therapy Wednesday, the first time? I didn't start until um, I was in college. So that was a good start, um, you know, but it would have been so helpful. Like my mom was very pretty open about sex, um, but I'm just thinking about Todd, you know, from from an early age having it normalized and and having an adult in your life who kept a straight face and wasn't uncomfortable talking about it. Whitney, can you even imagine how different <laughs> life could be? I went, they did send me to therapy when I moved in with my dad. So I guess around fourth grade or so, I moved from my mom's house to my dad's house in a different city. And she was moving across the country. And to that point, I'd basically grown up with her that whole time. So going in to move in with my dad was very shocking to my system. Um, And I went to therapy then because I remember that transition being extremely difficult and challenging for me. But I don't remember the therapist doing anything. (laughs) I remember just going and playing games. And maybe that was supportive, but I don't – I don't remember having any sort of conversation about anything that was going on. Do you remember getting anything out of that? I don't. Hmm. No. But Damn. I mean, maybe maybe it was more of a, a, a positive, you know, weekly thing that I did that I could anchor to. But yeah, I don't really remember getting a whole lot out of that experience. Fourth grade. What a hard time to go through such a huge transition. I mean, wow. Yeah. That sucked. I remember that sucking a lot. Probably still working through some of that. (laughs) I mean, Todd, do you encourage people to send their kids to to therapy? Um, Do you work with people who are wondering, like, you know, somebody who was Whitney's age or your age when they started therapy? Is there still stigma around sending kids to therapy? 
Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm biased. So I, you know, I'm like, everybody go to therapy. Like, I think it should be like getting a driver's license. Like, go driver's I love that. Therapy. Like it should be part of our curriculum. Um, call it something different if you want, but like in human school, I don't know. Um, so I, I think everybody can benefit from it. I think depending on your geography, um, and your culture, that will really shape how much stigma or negative stuff accompanies definition of therapy or coaching or feeling anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, but I'm like very biased. I'm just like, yes, everybody go to therapy, go, go. I mean, we live in New York. Therapy is like yeah. breathing for us, There's right? There's so many therapists here. But I do, in my family, people mm-hmm. really think it's crazy. Like, really? Yeah, my family's from Michigan and they're like, there must be something really wrong with her because she's been in therapy for a long time. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the mindset is that mm-hmm. only people with who are really sick go to therapy. Everybody else just sucks it up. And New York is the opposite. New York is like, just go to therapy. What are y'all's thoughts on, let's say one partner in a relationship and wants to go to therapy and the other person doesn't? How does that, how do they have that conversation or does that even work? Um, What if one partner wants the other person to go to therapy? Like, what are y'all's thoughts on that? For couples work or for individual therapy or both or either or? Either or. But maybe for probably both, couples and individual. I mean, we hear all the time, Todd, if you could speak to this, what Whitney said. We hear so often that somebody says, I want my partner to do couples therapy, and they won't. Yeah, well, I mean, that's pretty common. Um, Most of the times when I see a couple, there's always one person that's like, I don't want to fucking be here. This is stupid. I didn't want to come in the first place. Fuck this. You know, there's always, I mean, and maybe not to that extreme, but... Um, some for sure. I mean, there's always one part of a relationship that's resistant. Sometimes even when I see individuals who bring themselves into therapy, they're resistant and they don't want to be there. So, uh, you know, it's hard not to be distracted by some of that. Um, and I see a lot of individuals who I really do encourage and recommend that they go to couples therapy or that they encourage their partner to go to therapy on their own. Um, and people get easily shut down by somebody saying no. Um, and I'm like, nope, ask again. Like, go ahead. You can do it. Ask again. You know, and and sometimes it takes multiple times to ask. Sometimes it takes, you know, some really kicking and screaming. Um, but, uh, you know, resistance is super common. I don't, a lot of people just Wednesday, as you were talking about, you know, a lot of people come from places where they understand going to therapy as this like last resort thing, um, that, or like only for people that are really not doing well or really sick. And, um, so that's going to also shape how, they may or may not be resistant or willing to go. Um, but it's not uncommon. I, I don't think it's a bad sign either. But I think a lot of people do. They're like, oh, that's not good. It, he doesn't want to go. And it's like, well, of course he doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to talk about his feelings. But drag him. <laughs> um, and sometimes we do. And, and most of the times, what's funny is there have been two, two times where I've seen a couple and um, I, the person that turned into individual clients after the couple's work was done was the person that was initially resistant to therapy. Um, mm. you know, where they come in and they say, I'm really bad at talking about myself. And then they go on for 45 minutes about their childhood. Um, so, you know, we, we have to take what people say at face value, but we also have to kind of trust that, you know, if we can push that they may, um, there might be more underneath what they're saying at the surface. You know, in that, along those lines, I want to talk about 
your Instagram handle, which is your diagnosis. Can you, yeah, sorry. Can you, can you explain to us why you chose that? And I just love this agenda that you have where you're saying there are a lot of oversimplified tools on social media that people are using to diagnose themselves and to take these quizzes about what's your attachment style or your personality type. And you're, you're using Instagram to get people to think about that in a little more complicated ways. I just, I want to talk about your, your segue to Instagram. Sure. Um, yeah. So I'm at your diagnosis. I wish I could say I came up with that. My, one of my <laughs> best friends, actually, we were, I was like, I never had had a personal Instagram and I was like, I should probably, I, uh, I had just broken up with my ex and I was like, I should probably be on social media. Shouldn't I? Um, and then she was like, well, what about your diagnosis? And I was like, that actually is pretty relevant to me in my life. Um, but <laughs> and it's all, actually also from Girl Interrupted, um, which is an amazing <laughs> Um, So good. Um, but, uh, what was the question? Why do I, um, yeah. So I, I mean, a lot of my content is basically what I like to think and do and how I am a therapist. Um, so it's, um, it's specifically me, I guess. Uh, yeah. So I don't know, just growing up, as I said, I was in therapy and at the beginning of my therapy experiences, it was like very clinical, um, and very focused on telling me that I had disorders and that I was fucked up. Um, and I was like a little kid and I was responding to my dysfunctional, crazy family. Um, yeah. but I was the one being told that, you know, I was basically fucked up in whatever, which ways. Um, and then it wasn't really until I got into, started to see this other therapist and started really learning about, you know, it's not me <laughs> type of thing. Um, that, that, that it, it was really pivotal in terms of starting this like very long ongoing journey for me about not hating myself. <laughs> Um, and so a lot of that comes from mental health stigma, um, and toxic positivity shit. And, um, a lot of that is on Instagram and a lot of that is mainstream psychology. So it's a lot of the diagnostic test checklists and theory and intellectualizing stuff that discounts like culture context and, um, people's environments. Um, so anyway, uh, that's just what I gravitate towards. I don't know if I'm answering your question. You yeah. answered it totally. And I want to get back to that thing. Cause Whitney, <laughs> don't you think a lot of, uh, our followers, especially during COVID, like we're depending on Instagram a lot mm-hmm. in a lot of ways for connection and stuff. And I see these things posted, you know, how to tell if you're codependent, these yeah. seven things, how to tell if you're, um, in a toxic relationship, these seven things. And, uh, Todd, what I love is how you you find those and you take them apart. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what are the what are the things that you'd most like to see people avoiding when they're turning to Instagram for psychological insight? Um, avoid internalizing, decontextualized psycho information. Um, it's kind of like going on WebMD and concluding that you have cancer because you're dizzy. Um, it's not to avoid or to dismiss the dizziness, but you know we have to think a little bit deeper um, and with complexity about complex issues. Um, so when I see these posts about you know top five signs that your partner is a narcissist or that you're in a toxic relationship or that it's unhealthy or that you're codependent, you know I get this very visceral feeling, um, like my heart rate increases, I get tense, I kind of get a little angry, and I have the what, what the fuck, what does this even mean kind of reaction, um, and then I like. 
angrily post something. Not angrily, <laughs> but then I like, I feel like I need to defend everybody who feels the same way. Um, because I think so many people read this shit and they're like, oh my God, I'm fucked up. Um, or this is bad, or I'm doing this bad thing, or my partner's doing this bad thing. And then like our entire life history and world and racism and sexism and all this bullshit that defines our reality gets erased because we're just thinking we're bad or our partners are bad or whatever. So um, I get this huge surge of energy, so I want to do that. And so um, it's just really important that we not take this black and white information that is kind of important-ish um, and then directly like kind of do this correlation equals causation type of thing where we draw this very, very straight fine line um, from one piece of information to our lives. Um, because, you know, it, it sounds good. And that's why I think a lot of these posts are very popular um, is because it's really about marketing um, and their basic sound bites. Um, but just because it sounds good doesn't mean necessarily that's going to be a, a mirror image of your life. Um, so just resist internalizing this stuff. You know, there was this great um, thing that you posted that I'm going to read because I think it kind of gets to the core of your agenda, if I'm not mistaken. So this is one of um, your diagnosis. Sorry, your diagnosis is a post that Todd posted. Everybody at some point will question their worth, harshly judge themselves, experience self-doubt, violate someone's boundary, struggle with their body image, experience painful relationship loss, experience sexual challenges, and lie to a partner. And then I think another thing that you say all the time is um, it's not reasonable, you know, to expect your relationship to nurture you all the time or um, to um, feel like your partner won't hurt you at some point. Mm-hmm. And that, that really kind of goes against the grain <laughs> of, of a lot of what you see on Instagram. I know, which is weird because it's like kind of people with, when it comes to relationships, people are encouraging like this very kind of toxic positivity relational style, uh, relational version of that, um, which is, you know, this kind of always should, et cetera. My relationship should always make me happy. My partner should always do this and blah, blah, blah. And if they don't, you know, maybe they're not the one, um, which is really just bullshitty. Um, it's not, it's not really... <laughs> describing the complexities of what it means to actually be in a long-term relationship and really kind of be disappointed. We're going to be disappointed. I mean, it's basic stuff. Yeah. They're going to let yeah. us down and fuck us over and not because they're mean. No, maybe not fuck us over. That's extreme. But um, they're going to disappoint <laughs> us. They're going to let us down. Um, and we're going to, we might want to expect some of this stuff um, and not uh, shame it. Could I just quickly ask you to define toxic positivity, Todd? Uh, yeah, toxic positivity is the kind of like the think positive, um, you know, positive people, vibes only. Yeah, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, or other people have it worse. Or if you smile, it'll make you you feel happy, or that kind of shit. I feel like I'm a very positive person, but it's also like I so appreciate your stance on just the reality of situations. Like sometimes shit is just going to suck, and you're yeah. just going to have to deal with it. You know, like let's stop living in this like fantasy fairyland, you know, and, and using that toxic positivity and just basically brushing it under the rug. And it's just so, I just love your, your take on that. Cause I, I feel that it's so deeply. Sometimes it just sucks. Yeah. And acknowledging that it sucks 
you know, breeds more meaning into how positive things can feel. Because, mm-hmm. with, you know, the lack of one thing uh, implies the presence of another. Um, so, yeah, I mean, sometimes things suck, but sometimes they're really wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love the way you're putting a frame around it for people, right? And um, you ha- you posted something to your stories and it was a woman saying, um, it was a meme and the woman is saying, thanks a lot for doing that to me. And then her brain is saying, I literally am you. Yeah. <laughs> Can you, so why, good. I wish I made that. Why did, you, why, <laughs> why did you post that meme and what's the lesson there? Because to me, it was just so beautiful. I felt like I was punched in the stomach and like <laughs> given enlightenment at the same time by that. Um, I don't, I didn't really put too much thought into the meaning of it or in my interpretation of it. I just thought it was hysterical because like, I think oftentimes we confuse some of the things that we're thinking. Um, and we forget that it's actually coming from us and that, and not other people. Um, and to really reflect about it. So I think a lot of us kind of healthily engage in, in this kind of denial. Uh, and so I thought that was funny. I mean, a lot of people do think, like, especially during COVID, right? I'm shut up in my house with my family, quarantining, basically. And um, I I think I'm like a lot of people in that I'm, I mean, granted, the situation, the context is really bad, but I'm so quick um, to pin it on somebody else's behavior rather than say like, well, what am I bringing to my intense frustration with my husband right now? Like, I know this is how he is. And, um, there are things about me that annoy him, but what is like, I guess I loved that meme that you posted, Todd, because it was, it was really about how much power we have actually Mm -hmm. in relationships and how just by looking at that meme, I did feel, um, both more implicated in the relationships dynamics that annoy me, but I also felt more empowered. Like I, I could do more. Yeah. I post a lot about that too. Cause I mean, there's so much shit, um, everywhere that's really helping us or conditioning ourselves to think about other people first and how they're, what they're doing and how they're doing it and why we don't like it or like it. Um, as opposed to really empowering ourselves and investing in the belief that we can positively impact our relationships Um, and so the former is more of this kind of earlier stuff where we really can't impact our, our relationships as kids, like with our parents, we can't really say, you know what I really, I mean, we could, but usually most of us didn't grow up with the type of relationship we could say to our parents, I really didn't appreciate that you did this and I'd really like this differently. Or you couldn't go to the store and get new parents if they were awful. You know, we just kind of have to make do. Um, but as adults, you know, we really can be empowered. We can really impact our relationships. And one of the ways in which we do it is the way we act. Um, we may not be purposefully acting in certain ways, but we also, we, we do elicit reactions that sometimes we don't like and we play a role in that. So, um, you know, when we can identify that and figure out what it is that we're doing to elicit certain responses, if that's the case, um, it is empowering. And I think really reparative. Really reparative. Yeah. Would you say that's the number one thing that you can do to strengthen your relationship? Or what do you think is the best thing that someone can do to really help and nurture, support their relationship? Yeah, well, that's a really big part of it. And I think the implicit communication there is being more curious about ourselves and the, our stories and how we, what we bring and our role to 
our relationship and how that is a very complex dynamic, like a dance um, where there's an action and a reaction. And um, that's empowering. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that's really a, a huge piece of the recipe in terms of nurturing our relationships um, is identifying our role, um, what it is that we do and also what it is that we want um, and how we can better pursue some of that. And also collaborating with our partners around what they want and, you know, how can we, we can help them um, meet their needs too. Yeah, that's a really big one. That's, go ahead, Lindsay. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that is so big. And I think that most of us are locked into this idea that our, our partner's quirks or um, preferences are persecuting us. And, and um, I wonder, you know, I wonder how much of that um, is really imprisoning, um, as you said, Todd. And I wonder um, if you, I know it's hard, you know, to just break complicated things down, but do you have tips for people who find themselves sliding into that habit or pattern of my partner's doing this to me? Um, This is, I can't stand this thing that my partner does. Do you have like cognitive behavioral tricks that you recommend to people or is there a a thing that you could tell people listening now to help them through that as they're shut up with their families? <laughs> shut up with their families. I you know like what I mean? Like that. shut up together. No, no, I, know, no, I, I know. I guess it's mean funny shut in, say but it. I like shut, shut up. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I mean, well, one, it's hard, it's really annoying and it's a big mind fuck. And sometimes we can't like, when it comes to being confronted by our partner's limitations or a challenge that we have with our partner, um, it, you know, it, it does feel like our partner is persecuting us. And so the question is, you know, can you tolerate it? And do you want to tolerate it? So sometimes these things are just like, they're messy or they're leaving shit everywhere, or, um, they're not sharing their emotions enough. And the question is, you know, is that something you can tolerate? You know, some people are like, okay, yeah, I can tolerate that because they're really supportive for me. They cook me dinner and they fuck me really good. Um, you know, <laughs> or well, or I can't speak proper English. Um, Either one is so, right. you know, maybe they're not getting fucked well. Uh, and that changes how they're able to tolerate some of their partner's limitations, right? So, you know, it really, it, it's not to discount the reaction we have to our partner's limitations, but it is to really emphasize that it's collaborative. And then we play a role in collaborating and deciding that if we're going to tolerate them and continue the relationship, then we have to find a way to work with and around their limitations. Um, And that includes the way we respond to them, but also what comes up for us when we're encountering them. So like if uh, our partner isn't able to process their emotions in the same way and it makes us feel alone, the question is, is can you get what it is that you seek? So closeness, connection, et cetera, from your partner in other ways. Um, and so some of us can, and some of us can't. So it's, you know, it's really a lot of curiosity, like I was saying, and a lot of collaboration. Um, but it's something that comes up in all relationships. Um, so I just want to really, uh, underline that, that it's not, you know, this horrible sign, a red flag. I hate the red flag shit. Um, it's just a basic part of relationships, you know, that people are, we're all limited. Um, and sometimes our limitations, um, are exactly what triggers our partner. (laughs) And usually that's the case. Um, and so it's, just, it's, it's challenging. It's, it's a challenge. And so the, the important thing is to work through it together. Most couples aren't, um, they're just working through it through passive aggressive responses and withdrawal and shutting down and avoidance. Um, so, um, that takes a lot of, that's a lot more work than actually just collaborating around it. The problem is that most of us don't have a script or, 
an example or knowledge or skills to collaborate. So, um, you know, that's just something that you that you're really going to want to do. Is open. So let's. So on that on that point that you were just talking about, if somebody is listening to this and, and they're realizing, oh, I am, you know, avoiding or I'm, I'm doing this in my relationship and I don't know really how to stop myself um, because we don't have a script, we don't know what to do. What would you recommend for them? Um, I mean, well, there's a lot. I mean, there's a bunch of books. Um, there's a lot of online programs. There are e-courses. There's therapy. There's coaching. There are, there are podcasts. Uh, um, you know, there's there now there are so many more resources um, that a simple Google search, um, you know, how to get through conflict. You could Google that, and resources will there'll be pages and pages and pages um you can look on your favorite instagram therapist's website and they may have resources for you um you can talk to your doctor and ask for a referral to a counselor you can go on psychology today and look for it there i mean there's a bunch of different things but doing nothing is certainly a guarantee to continue um uh the conflict or whatever the challenge is um but so anything literally read like you could read a book read a blog post you know Mm -hmm. Just um, do something. Do something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take a do step. You, yeah, take yeah. a step. I just had this thought. Do you think some people are afraid to do something because maybe it will actually then change the relationship? Yeah, I mean, that's a really great question and a really good point. Um, sometimes the design of these conflicts is to be unsatisfied and to end the relationship or to continue uh, some kind of um, unhappiness or something that reflects earlier experiences with intimacy as a kid, um, where this is where our relationship as adults parallel our relationships as kids, as children, whatever, um, you know, where it serves to be a reenactment of earlier stuff. Um, and that reenactment can be the purpose of that could be to literally just reenact the familiar stuff. It could be to repair, it could be to leave. Um, but it doesn't always necessarily mean that it's, um, something, that we want to work through, you know, and sometimes that is the design of it to mm-hmm. keep us stuck. To be stuck. Sometimes yeah. that's, that's a really great reframe and I love it. Um, we've talked, you know, a lot about relationships in general. I just want to make sure that we touch on the fact that you identify as queer. You have a very queer friendly Instagram page and you treat queer patients in Mm -hmm. both individual and couples work. So I just want to make sure that for our listeners who identify as queer, I want to make sure that they know that your IG is a place where they can feel really celebrated and understood. And that if they, are you still taking clients, Todd, or is your private practice full at the moment? Uh, No, I'm not. Uh, I have a wait list, um, but uh, yeah, but no, not right now. (laughs) <laughs> not right now. That was one way to put it. I have a wait list, so I'm busy. I have a wait list. There's a velvet rope. Yeah. Because, I mean, well, I'm not surprised. I mean, couples need so much help right now. Yeah. I think we all do. <laughs> we all need help right now. I'm yeah. glad. Through. Yeah. I'm glad you're here to help us. I'm glad your Instagram is there to um make me and Whitney laugh all the time and like share your posts and cackle together. And, um, thank you for that. Yeah. I'm glad that you're there and here with me. Can you tell us how people can find you some of your writing and when your podcast, if they, where they can listen to the podcast that you've done? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at Your Dyke Nonsense. My website is my name with my middle initial, ToddSBarrett's.com. I should have picked an easier website. I don't know why. <laughs> I should have just been like sex, 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 thirsty trap. I don't know. Um, but that's my name. Go to my Instagram. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm clearly not so sharp right now. Um, but no, yeah, I think that was my genius, Instagram. actually. Okay, maybe I should change it. You know what? I'm going to change it. Sex, thirsty. I'm into it. Instagram is probably the best way. In terms of my podcast, I've stopped. I... I mean, I'm sure the two of you know, um, it's a pain in the ass. Uh, finding yes. people, coordinating people, the technology, it's just, at the end of the day, I'm like, fuck this. I don't want to. Yeah. It's definitely um, not easy, right? People easy. think, have, oh, I'm going to no. start a podcast. Boop, there you go. Yeah. Uh-uh. Right. No, okay. So wait, nice. I want to stop and honor that just this second that you just said, it's too hard. I don't want to do it. Fuck yeah, it. Yeah. I was like, I don't want to do it. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. Like, you created it. You have really created, you know, a really great podcast, um, and you've stuck with it. It's really hard. It's hard work. Well, I like it just in general as advice. I'm not saying like be a quitter, but I think that in this moment, especially Todd, like I love you modeling. Like, there are some things that have to go. Like, you're focused on other things. Your podcast can uh, be on the side for a minute. Everybody needs to hear that about a lot of things that they're doing right now if they're feeling overwhelmed. Yeah. And I just like, I was like, are people listening to this? Like I saw people, I'm like, I don't know. It's still up there. Like it's still on Libsyn. It's your diagnosis. It's still on Apple and everything. But um, I, maybe I'll do more episodes next year, which is in a few weeks. Um, but for now, it's just the old episodes from last year. Well, I'm going to listen to them, and I think everybody else will probably want to hear them as well. I hope they're okay. Yeah. I'm, I don't know. We'll see. You can <laughs> let me know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're seeing it right now. How Todd, you make me laugh. How I Todd, the Todd, the totally human psychotherapist. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that should be my website. That's creepy, though. The human psychotherapist. <laughs> <laughs> that's very totally right. human. That's somebody's Instagram handle, so no shade if that is. <laughs> it's definitely someone's Instagram handle, without a doubt. I take it. it has to be. Todd, thank you for making us laugh. Thank you for making us helping us think in more complicated ways about who we are. And thank you for just getting out there and being real about sex. I love you for it. Thanks for having me. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this podcast. And if you did, it would help us a lot if you would leave a review. Yeah, leave a review, subscribe. We want to know how you guys felt about the episode. It really helps us out a lot to continue the success of the podcast and keep spreading our message.